Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Now, Ann and I just recently changed a ECMO <laughs> circuit out together. Oh, I heard about in that. In the evening. Yes, we did. I didn't get stressed then either. No. It was, it was well, it was good. It, it, was it good. went well and... I'm really sorry was, that happened to you. Well, <laughs> I heard all about it. You, you stay in this profession long enough, you're going to see some things. You yes, are. and yes. then you were pulling all of that clot out of the, yes. that clot was that long. Yes. It crazy. just was like a big, long, giant yes. snake. Yes. <laughs> it was really gruesome. It was, it was impressive. <laughs> it was mm. an impressive clot. Anyways, um, I want to thank everybody um, for asking me here to inviting me to give these uh, couple of presentations today. Uh, welcome to this conference. I always find this a very um, interesting, provocative, and um, good discussion occurs in these uh, presentations and these meetings. So thank you, everybody. So the role of perfusion professional societies. So if you just look up what professional society goals might be uh, in general, they seek to further their profession. They uh, seek to further the interests of the individuals engaged in the profession and serve some public interests. Uh, what could they offer? Again, I think we all know that uh, continuing education is a big goal. And again, a part of our um, perfusion um, credential is to seek continuing education. There's a lot of opportunity for scholarship within some of these societies for students. And we all love the networking, I think, uh, at these meetings. Of course, being more virtual in the last year or so has kind of changed that up a little bit. But it, there's still great networking that goes on. And then there can be uh, unified efforts to enhance the profession. Uh, again, this may include some legal and political activities. Um, I'm thinking mostly for perfusion. If you're doing some legislative actions in your state for licensure and things like that. So if you, what, what perfusion societies are out there, and as Joe started to list off some international and state and national, you can see this list is, is long and it's, and it's not complete. Um, but for those of us in perfusion, we're all familiar with the American Academy Cardiovascular Perfusion, the AACP. Uh, some of us are also very familiar with ANSECT, American Society of Extracorporeal Technology, or ANSECT. But if you uh, go a little, as we work our way over to the right, a lot of state uh, listings there, and that again is not complete. Just looking in the last couple of days, uh, New York has a state society, Washington State has a state society, and but I can tell you that Texas does not have a state society. I, I can tell you that, and I'm just going to throw that out there to this group. Ah. <laughs> just a little food for thought. I nominate Anne as president of the Texas Society of Perfusion. I second. second. Oh, second. It's done. And I think we have a quorum. It's oh, done. boy. Oh, boy. I guess I shouldn't have opened my mouth there. Um, what is uh, Perfusion Pages? Oh, uh, is that an association? Yes, there? there's, a, there's a lot of... Um, there's some blogs out there. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. okay gotcha. That, that people can belong to. And then if you go over to international, again, that I ran out of room alphabetically. If you go past P, you're going to see Romania. You're going to see a whole okay. lot more. Mm -hmm. So it looks like there's a lot of opportunity to participate in a perfusion society on some level. 
Um, you know, looking at some of the state societies, some of the membership dues, are, there are no dues, it's free. Um, there are some great offerings for students. Um, I think Debbie could probably mention maybe some that maybe her profusion students have applied for. Some of these scholarships, um, some of them are um, very good money in terms of what they can get. Um, some of it's based on presenting at a meeting um, and getting a first award or a second award. Um, some of them are, are named in memory and honor of people. Um, they all have officers and they have maybe an annual meeting. Again, uh, Michigan, which, isn't, which is listed there, I have been to that meeting before. It's multidisciplinary. There are surgeons, there are nurses, there are perfusionists, there are STS people all get together. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I just loved it. So there's really some great things going on out there in perfusion societies that you, you might want to be a part of or at least check out. Um, I'm not aware that any of our state societies would um, limit you if you don't live there. They probably would be interested in Having you yeah, well, you know, Matt is the was is I think the current president of the Tennessee Perfusion Society, so I think he's going to have some. Uh, I think he's going to have some uh, very good uh, insight into this as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's just a lot of opportunity, and maybe we just don't. Maybe we just keep thinking of our two national ones, and you know, do I really? Can I afford that? Do I feel like there's anything in it for me? And we're going to get to some of those questions on why you may or may not participate. And I hope we get some discussion and some feedback um, on this panel and then from the group out there on, on what they think mm -hmm. about that. So if you, if you look up AMSECT in the AACP, you're going to see that they have uh, a mission statement or a purpose statement. It's, it's there for you to read. They, they basically are both fostering um, professional needs, improving uh, continuing education, uh, improving knowledge in cardiovascular perfusion, and a way to, to present this all. So a way for, uh, for us all to learn. So I, the other question is, what is not the role of a perfusion society? Oh, yeah. And I think this is gonna get some discussion going and um, that was the intent and purpose. So this panel can uh, interrupt me at any time as we get going here. Um, your certification and your recertification is, is the role of the American Board of Cardiovascular Perfusion the ABCP. Now, your school accreditation is really uh, the role of CAHAP, which if you see it spelled out there, is the Commission on Accreditation of Allied Health Education Programs. Mm -hmm. uh, under that, there are committees on accreditation, which are commonly referred to as COAs, if you look at that structure. Mm -hmm. And the Accreditation Committee on Perfusion Education is one of those, and commonly referred to as the ACPE. These how, this is how perfusion schools become accredited and can uh, offer their degrees or certifications and allow their students to be board eligible. So that is, that is the education arm and the certification arm in perfusion. So what about micro certifications? And again, we have, we have seen this. Um, AMSECT in particular, we're going to talk about that a little bit right now. So the first question hey, I... Hey, guys, I'm sorry, Dan. Hey, guys, yeah. something keeps popping up on the slides. Okay. So sorry. Go That's ahead. okay. So in general, micro-certifications, do we think they have a place? Do we think they're helpful? 
So I'm thinking of autotransfusionists, maybe ECMO specialists. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, currently, right now, through AMSEC and a group called IBBM, um, which is International Board of Blood Management, mm -hmm. there, there is a way to gain a perioperative blood management technician certification. Mm -hmm. uh, you take an exam, you do um, provide a case log to them, and you can have this certificate. Um, the, the same thing through the same IBBM offers a certificate in adult ECMO specialist. Again, this is something you can apply for and take an exam and provide some application and you can have this certificate. You think they would have been a good choice for changing that circuit up the other night? I'm sorry, <laughs> forgive me. No, it's okay. Because Thought I'd I, throw it out there. Well, so I, in some ways, it can provide those, those perioperative people that are, that are providing some services within our scope as perfusionists. It does provide them with some recognition that they have achieved um, a competency level, they have proven some knowledge, um, again, might be helpful for them. Well, I agree with that completely because otherwise, what is actually required uh, for these people? I mean, it's just, there's nothing required, right? We could actually make someone an ECMO specialist and there's no uh, requirements as far as what their education is, what their experience is. is that, am I correct on that? Yeah. So I think that certification yeah. is good. Yeah, I think well, it we'll goes back to this. the institution. We're yeah. going right. to discuss that because I've already written something down oh. about it because okay. of this. But let me let, 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 let go ahead. Go yeah. So you can make you can make the point as as Tammy did as well that for for these for these clinicians, it could be helpful to them. It's something that proves that they've got a, a certain level of competency. Mm -hmm. So, but how can it be harmful? And personally, and I'm not speaking for anybody except Ann Grecho. Um, I think it can confuse the non-perfusion community as mm -hmm. to who is credentialed to do what. Mm -hmm. And again, with these cer certifications being put through our AMSEC, our, one of our professional societies, it, what's the oversight, the validity, mm -hmm. the consistency with this certification process? Um, just with background on the American Board, I, I know what that looks like. And, it, and I believe that all CCPs at least value that and, mm -hmm. and accept that that um, is fair, it's equitable, it, it does um, prove your ability and your knowledge. And again, this is a little bit new, I would say, and someone can correct me from the audience or even on the panel, if it's two years plus maybe that we've had the um, autotransfusionist mm -hmm. um, certification. And that the probably ECMO, sounds about right. And the ECMO specialist, I want to say, within the last year to 18 years. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Again, food for thought, and I, I hope we all get into a discussion on it. So we did actually ask CCPs in the last uh, recertification cycle uh, what they thought of additional, the need for additional certification. Again, you know, the caveat there is it was for, you know, do you think CCPs need this? And you can see the overwhelming response is no. Yeah. Um, if you look over to the right, it does give you a breakdown of who answered that question. 
Um, that looks like about a 75% response rate there at 3,300. Very oh, high. Awesome. Yeah. A lot higher. Than I sent mine in. I, I answered. I'm in that 3,300. Right. And you, I mean, you, you can skip these questions, but again, um, I mean, you know, tagging it onto your recertification, some of you might get a little annoyed that we're, you know, trying to get you to answer some questions, but we're also trying to figure out what the community is thinking. And we can't, you know, we can't talk to all 4,400 at once, but we can try to survey you and mm -hmm. keep it short and sweet and to the point. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have comments then, and you want to make them, you're certainly welcome to do so. So that was what CCP thought of uh, additional ECMO certification. And uh, even more so for the bad mechanical assist device, if there's any need for that among CCPs, an overwhelming no. Again, about the same response rate, just under 3,300. And I think the most, maybe a little bit interesting, was pediatrics. Mm. Mm. So if you look at that, that's about a 60-40 split. So in general, I, I think the community feels like pediatric perfusion is a, maybe a little bit different in your skill set. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I have an, an opinion about that that hopefully we'll get in discussion about. But that was probably, that is the highest that people thought maybe there's something there. I, again, I feel like if you start slicing and dicing our certification too much, uh, we're not that big a group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I make a comment about this particular response? And this, again, comes from you know, just feedback from um, recent graduates that have taken the American Board of Cardiovascular Perfusion certification exam. And it's quite heavily um, represents pediatric, pediatric practice, um, pathology, pathophysiology, um, ECMO circuits, um, regular circuits, muff, I mean, the whole plethora of pediatrics. And so, and who's responding to this may be, like me, some older perfusionists that when we took the board exam, it may not have had as much of the um, pediatric influence. So I think this is my personal opinion. This is Debbie, uh, Debbie speaking, not former director or program director of a school, that our, I think our certification exam um, adequately um, examines the knowledge and skills of an entry-level perfusionist into our perfusion practices, and that's what our certification was meant to do for our adult. And then from there, you go you go on and you, you specialize. I mean, are we going to, our, our practice is heavily uh, aortic aneurysm. So now do I need a subspecialty mm -hmm. to do, you know, type 1 dissections and TAAAs? And so it, anyway, that's just my comment. So I think it might be skewed by people like me <laughs> that took the board in 1980 or mid-century. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> mid-century. Maybe not mid-century. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie, for, for that insight. Again, it was probably it was the highest uh, response for yes that we saw in those survey questions, and you know where where it's coming from, and you know like Deb said, um, then do we need to just make sure we're including that in our certification exam? Do we need to beef up the pediatric uh, portion of it? Uh, you know ECMO as well, just to make sure that that certification is representing all the subspecialties we are that are in our scope of practice, because there are several. Mm -hmm. How did I get rid of that? 
So the big question, and I, I mean, I almost wanted to put this out as a survey if I'd had more time for people getting on the uh, conference today. Do you participate, and why or why not? So I would say common barriers that I could think of is that the dues are too expensive, I want my employer to pay for it, or else I'm not going to um, participate. Uh, what do I get out of that? Um, is it really worthwhile? I don't have time. And, you know, maybe the other question is, if you don't like it or you've just got a bad taste or you just feel like it's not for you, would you be interested to participate to make it better? Um, you know, be an agent for change. Um, I do think participating does give you perspectives from people. Um, you know, again, um, in our city, in our hospitals, we, we work with, you know, a finite group of people. And, we do, we do network, we do know people, but you, know, you can talk to somebody and get a different perspective. Um, I, think it's, I think it's worth it. And then also just sharing ideas and experiences. I think one of the things I've missed about in-person meetings is soft learning, you know, that informal discussion of a case scenario with a colleague, maybe over a beverage, <laughs> and either affirming uh, what, you, what you did, how you did it, or getting a new idea of what to do and how to do it. Um, I, think that's, I think that's worth it. I think that's, you can never learn enough. I think mm -hmm. you should always be learning. And I agree with that. You know, in your, in your practice, you know, if you're primarily adult cabs and you're not really getting out into those, you know, uh, those aneurysm cases, it doesn't matter where you practice, one could come through your door anytime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you don't do it a lot, um, you know, there's some things you can learn from talking to people that do it all the time. Absolutely. So I, I think there is benefit there. And then um, as discussion, you know, if you participate, I'd like to hear what you like about it. And if you don't, you know, what is your barrier? And what would make you join one? And then what do you think is, would be the ultimate perfusion professional society? What do you think is, is the best of it all that would just serve everybody and be just the most positive experience? Okay, I mean, you actually, so I put a, uh, I put a, uh, a thing out on, on our YouTube channel. We have multiple things we're doing. Facebook, we're doing Twitter, we're doing LinkedIn. We have our own internal system, which doesn't have a chat, and then we have YouTube. The one I monitor is YouTube. Magic's over there doing the other one. But I, if he doesn't see me put a question, he doesn't forward it to other people. So notwithstanding, I've gotten one response. Uh, but we have John, we have Matt, we have me, we have Tammy, we have Patrick, we have, uh, of course, Deb, and we have you. So if you participate in a professional perfusion society of some sort, raise your hand. So half. one, two, that's... A little yeah. more than half. Just slightly more than, well... Yes, and Eric Hunley. So actually more do than don't. Yeah. So about two-thirds do. Uh, we don't. I don't. I can speak for myself, but let me ask you this if I can. Matt, you're the Tennessee Perfusion Society. So if I could just start with you, what is your, and you may be also a member, What which ones are you a member of? Uh, I'm a member of AMSEC and uh, my state society. And your state society, okay. John? I'm a member of AMSEC and also the Academy, mm -hmm. and also ELSO. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. And? I'm a member of the Academy and AMSEC. 
AMSEC? The same, Academy, AMSEC. Both, both societies? Yes. Patrick? I was a member of AMSEC, but I haven't. Uh, the first time I left the profession, I, I never rejoined. Never rejoined? So it's been years. Previously a member of AMSEC, never the Academy. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was a member of AMSEC, never was a member of Academy. Of course, the board, you know, we all have to be a member of that. We don't have a choice. <laughs> no you choice. want to work. I paid them a lot of money, and we're going to talk about that. Okay. We're going to talk about how much money I have to pay the American board. It's um, <laughs> a lot. So, um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, so let's talk about reasons, okay? So let's start with, I'm just going to go back around the horn if I can, if you don't mind. Uh, Matt, your reasons for being a member of uh, the professional societies. Um, I'll start out with the, uh, the, the state society. Um, I think it's important. Um, it's, I think it's a great networking tool. Um, the state, Tennessee, is geographically very wide. And so, you know, it's a, you know, eight-hour trip from one side to the other. So geographically, I think uh, networking to keep in touch with what's local uh, is going on, what, what trends are happening, whether it's case volume, um, from a from a practice standpoint, uh, to, for this education, it's a it's a convenient way um, to get our required CEUs. Um, I will say Tennessee certification or Tennessee licensure. Uh, I have mixed messages about the licensure, but um, the way it was written. We have to have 15 category, or we have to have 15 CEUs per year, um, which is a little more um, restrictive than the 45 every three. So we have to have 15 every year with the state. So I'm, I'm not really pleased how that was written, but it is what it is. That's how they, they did it in the legislature. And then while I'm a, a member of uh, AMSEC, I think that's more, uh, I would think more on education and Actually, as I become a little more um, involved in some of the things that we're like we're doing today, um, I, I, I would like to see uh, the national membership uh, organizations or societies be a little more proactive for our profession. And I, I hope we get into that discussion uh, later. Okay, John. Yeah, I'll just keep it brief. I mean, I um, I I'm, I'm a member of of a. AMSEC in the academy and you know mainly because I want to support our organizations they do need financial support to, to stay in existence it would be a pretty devastating blow to our to our uh, to our field if we didn't have these societies in place and um, basically I, I do it mostly for for educational reasons so I can get involved with and get access to the educational side of things that's the main reason for me mm -hmm. and I participate for the education. Um, I, I feel like the academy, I, I, I'm more active there than AMSEC, but I think they do a, a great job with students. Um, those presentations and those students presenting papers at their meetings, uh, it's a great way for them to enter that profession, our profession, and, and know what it means to have mentors around them that are so supportive of their presentation, their efforts. Um, you know, it, it makes me feel very good about our schools and the type and the caliber of um, students they're putting out there. 
and the fact that they you know, can put together a presentation, very good presentations, and, and deliver them, even though they're probably very, very nervous. Sure. I think to, to do that, it's putting yourself out there. And so I like the giving back and the education of that and the, the fact that you're, putting, you're mixing new with maybe just out, seasoned, you know, experienced, and everyone's collaborating and supportive. Mm -hmm. So I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And I, I also, both those um, organizations do put out uh, publications. Uh, if you're a member, you do receive their journals. Um, I have utilized those in, in just you know, writing you know, papers or presentations, making presentations. So I think there's something worthwhile there. And again, I have to agree with John. I, I feel like it would be a disservice to lose them if we didn't have a professional society of any kind. Um, I just, I don't, I feel like we need, we need it. I agree with that. I agree with what you just said, that, that very point, and that's a, I think it's a very uh, poignant, it's a very poignant uh, statement. Uh, I mean, full agreement with what John and, and both said. I am probably an example of that because I was told to join the academy by Charlie when I was you know, a very young perfusionist had, you know, I started on staff before I even graduated, which is a whole nother, that's an ethical dilemma. But Charlie, you know, he was very, you know, started both professional organizations. And so Charlie Reed was a lot of things, which I'll talk about a little bit in my talk. But um, just, you know, we got to present our case studies. We got to present papers as students and new graduates, met lifelong mentors. You know, that's how friends with John Tumazian and Mark Cruz and Aaron Hill and Jim McDonald and on and on and on that helped develop, you know, my commitment to education. And, you know, I'm uh, involved in education pretty much my whole, you know, perfusion career. And so I think it's part of our um, responsibility. Agreed. So that's Agreed. Why. Jerry Dobbs, don't forget him. Yes. Um, there's Another so great many Mar guy. Mar Mar you know, the Richmonds. In anyway, there's so many. And AMSECT I'm not as involved in, but I, um, I am a member and was a member and then not a member for many years and rejoined um, some years ago and feel like it's important. I can't, you know, ask the students to get involved in their professional organizations so they can make change and be proactive about our profession. I do think... What you said, our professional organizations, we need to do better about marketing ourselves as, you know, an allied health professional that has great skills beyond just being behind the pump. And Absolutely. so, you know, it's kind of hard for me to tell students to pay their $15, $25 while they're a student, and I, you know, I need to support our organization. So that's why I do it. So why are you not? Um, <clears throat> well, you're making me think I should. <laughs> I'm not against We've it. We've convinced uh, you for well, Joe, you should pay for their professional uh, Get that on camera. <laughs> yeah, can we get a commitment on camera? <laughs> I won't. What, uh, what Matt said uh, was, was really, uh, when you said, what if they weren't here, you know, that's what makes me think, you know, that, that would be very bad. So, you know, I don't have a good reason other than uh, I just feel very busy, but I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But yeah. I'm, not, I'm not against it. I wouldn't like it if they weren't here. I think they do, uh, they do legitimize you know, our profession. And um, you know, I, I think it's a good thing they're there. So supporting them would be important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if Joe will pay, I'll do it. 
<laughs> Tammy. Um, I, I actually don't have a very good reason either. Just one year I didn't renew. I can say that um, I didn't utilize really the resources that were available to, available to me when I was a new perfusionist, when I was a member of um, the society. And I think that's probably why I was like, well, I didn't really do much with it. But, you know, I do see the value in it. It would be very sad if we did not have professional societies. Mm -hmm. I think you're right, Patrick. It legitimizes mm -hmm. us as uh, professional people. And um, I, I, I really feel like you've all made a compelling argument uh, as to why they're important. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think so too. Um, of course, I have maybe of all people here the strongest feelings, of which I'm going to probably reserve a lot of those uh, in the interest of uh, being politically sensitive. Um, I think one of the things that perfusion has as a challenge, regardless of what perfusion society we have, is that we are an extremely small fraternity. There are roughly 4,300 perfusionists. And when you talk about lobbying power, uh, which is what you're talking about legislatively in that regard, 3.4 million nurses have a lot of power. 4,300 perfusionists have next to none. Um, I've seen the dark days. Uh, where, Deb, of course, you were around too, where they were just taking anybody who seemed to have some aptitude for being able to turn some knobs, and we don't need these perfusionists anymore, and we're just going to train in-house and train people to run the pump, and that was it. And, of course, that didn't work out too terribly well. But, you know, you have to be incredibly well-trained and very, very intelligent and a really good problem solver, to be a good perfusionist. It's not as simple as it all looks. We make it look easy. Um, very quickly talking about the uh, students giving lectures and their nervousness. I do wanted to bring, I wanted to bring that up very quickly. I tell people this all the time, and it's just, un, it's fundamentally true, is whenever we go to work, just like you and I the other night when we were at work, we had an audience. We work under scrutiny or under observation or being evaluated by how we do something, not necessarily in a, in a, in a, a, in a student educator context, but we are, we are performers and we have an audience and our performance is going to be graded by the audience, not necessarily whether we decompensated, the patient didn't survive the procedure, um, but how we conduct ourselves, how we acted. Now, was I nervous? Yes, I was nervous. I'm always nervous when I'm turning somebody who's ECMO dependent completely off ECMO, clamping and cutting their lines in half and having to reattach it. I'm under the clock. We were under the clock at the time, and there's a lot of pressure, but you have to hold it together and do your job. So I think students giving lectures in whatever form it is, I don't care whether it's here, I don't care whether it's live in an in-person meeting, I don't care what resource it is, I don't care if it's AMSEX or some other, or, or the Tennessee Perfusion Society online programming, 
teaches them early in their career that I can do this. I can operate under pressure. Because every time you go on bypass, you're in a performance and you're the star of the show until you come off bypass. And then, you know, obviously the surgery is very important, clearly. That's why we're there. Mm -hmm. But there's that block of time where it's us. They can't do their job without us. And the result of that job is what their reward or what they're judged on later that the patient went on to do well. But we have a block of time, it's just us. So I think learning early in your career in a supportive environment to be able to get up there and just be a nervous wreck and do it enough times to learn to do that and do it well helps you tremendously in terms of running the pump. That's my view. Um, credentialing versus the legal thing, this whole issue of AMSEC offering these microcertifications, uh, whether it be the autologous blood management person or whether it be the ECMO specialist, to me that sounds like a real conflict of interest. I mean, they're not the ones certifying perfusionists and they're, what are they providing that is other than taking an online test, which is an online test, um, how do you grade that appropriately? I'm very uncomfortable with a professional society versus a something like the American Board or KHAP or whomever making that determination that this person has demonstrated the appropriate qualifications to practice this. And it's like physicians. You go into a hospital, if you're a, 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 an orthopedic doctor, you, know, you, can, you can put a patient on ECMO. If you're a doctor, an MD, period, you can do anything. You can do heart surgery if that's what you want to do. It does the hospital credential you to do that. If you're a physician, you're a physician. It doesn't mean you're capable of doing it, but legally you can. It does the hospital, will they credential you for it? Go ahead. Hey, Joe, can I, can I say something? I'd love to get the panel's input on this, if we have enough time. Uh, about five years ago, when I took to the road, decided to be a, uh, largely a traveling uh, you know, ECMO perfusionist, I got called to go to an account out of state, out of Florida, and I, they wanted all kinds of documentation. They wanted my diploma, you know, my CCP uh, updated. They wanted all my liability. They wanted my immunizations. And then all of a sudden I couldn't go because I needed a state license. I went out and got the state license. This was a very rigorous process, as you know. So I finally show up on this ECMO to relieve the, uh, to, to do my shift. And I'm relieving a respiratory therapist, no knock on respiratory therapist. I'm relieving a respiratory therapist, ECMO specialist, who has none of the credentials that I was required to have. They don't have a CCP, and they don't have a perfusion state license in that state. So, mm -hmm. you know, to me, I realize why this happens. I realize we have a tremendous need. We can't do it all. But at some point, uh, how undercut do we get to ourselves? Yes. Well, that's, mm -hmm. I think that's a very good point. So my, you know, my complete summary, and I'm not going to say another word about it, is I think AMSEC and the American Board 
are both, I mean, the American Academy, are both needed organizations. I agree 100% we need a professional society. But with that said, as I said, I'm going to try to be as politically sensitive as I possibly can. Both of those societies also have a responsibility to reach out to the community at large. When you look at the numbers of participants in those organizations, it's remarkably very low. And that is for a reason. Um, so the society, in my view, has to, one, of course, be an advocate for the best care of patients, not any one individual member. Notice the membership as a whole, not ind an individual, right? And uh, I think that they also have a responsibility to reach out, be more inclusive, recognize that diverse thought is extremely important, and not just be monolithic in their approach that we're the only ones that should be doing X, Y, or Z. There, there's my final thoughts on that. Well, I, I agree that there's got to be a reason to join. You've got to get something out of it. They've got to offer something that makes you think that this is worth your time, worth your money. Um, I know that I have coworkers that didn't think the academy was open to you. You had to be invited or you had to be a fellow or something like that. It's, and that, that's not true. So they, they need to represent themselves in terms of what can we, you know, why, why should you join and, and maybe market a little bit better. I know we've had those discussions with the academy for sure. Mm -hmm. And be more, as I said, be more inclusive. You can't just make it a good old boy club or girl, whatever the case may be. You can't just have these are the same people that are always recognized and always this and that. And, you know, uh, we should be the only people providing education. I mean, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons puts on a meeting, but you know how many other meetings they have? And, you know, they outnumber us. You know, the, ST, the, the, the cardiac surgeons in this country do outnumber us, but not by a whole lot. There's about 52 to 5,500 of them. So they are a little larger than us, but not by a large margin. So, you know, I think that we have to become more inclusive, I think, on both sides. Mm -hmm. I see your point. I agree with you. The value of professional societies is critical. I wouldn't want to see either of those societies not exist. Uh, but it's a two-way street. I'll meet them in the middle, mm -hmm. but they got to move towards the middle of themselves and become way more inclusive with the rest of the overall perfusion community that is out there. Mm -hmm. My view. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> Come on, Deb. <laughs> You, you say that they need to reach out to you and be more no, inclusive. Not me personally. I'm seeing us as a community. Absolutely. So how, how do they do that? I mean, if the, I'm, I'm going to use the academy as an example because I've been in the academy since, you know, 1985. The academy is available to everyone. And like Ann said, we do need to do a better job, the academy, on making sure that everyone understands it's open to everyone to join. Mm -hmm. But how do, I mean, reaching out to you, I, I mean, in, inclusive, it is inclusive of, of everyone. The academy stays, you know, the mission of the academy is education. Well, now and, you bring a good point up. I don't know a lot about the academy, so I have to, I have to plead some level of ignorance there. 
quick question, should we have two professional societies or do we need one, one that represents us? Is it AMSEC or is it the academy? Or is two, does two make sense? So I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's a question that I have that's germane, I think, to the conversation. Well, Debbie Adams, perfusionist, not a member of either one, think there's value with both and their missions are, are different. And I think we need two professional societies. And I think, um, and that's, you know, just seeing how they both work and what their missions are, I feel like that it's important for us to have, have both of them. Well, if they have different missions, they serve different purposes, yeah. I guess, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. And, and, what, they, but, and what does reaching out look like? That's, that's kind of, you know, you okay. say, they need so, to reach out to me. So like I said, I'm trying really hard to be... <laughs> Am I forcing you to not... No, you're putting me know. in a bit of a quandary. Matt, I hope you're enjoying this. John, I see you smiling, <laughs> so you're probably enjoying the hot spot that I'm in, too, the seat. Okay, I'll, I'll just sort of throw it out there, even though I think that this may be unnecessary, um, but you're asking me. Joe so. Basha, please join the Academy. <laughs> I probably would join the Academy. I'm not sure I would join AMSEC. Um, so, you know, AMSEC has, and, 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 and this is an example, I think, and there's several of these examples, uh, but I'll just give you one of, as I said, many. They have an event calendar. There's somebody else that has an event calendar. I am banned from advertising or putting on their event calendar any of these programs. And there's two such event calendars out there where I have been contacted directly by these people and told, you are not permitted to advertise your programs on our event calendar. That's not reaching out. That's kind of pushing away. Um, there are some other things, as I said, there's examples of things like that, you know, who, you know, these nominations and so forth for Perfusionist of the Year. I mean, we're all pretty smart. We see, you know, well, if you were a member, you could change things from the inside. But I've been a member before. You can't change anything because, well, you're not an officer. You have to do this. And, there's always this carrot that's dangled that keeps moving farther and farther and farther mm -hmm. away. And I think you have to have inclusiveness. You have to have, as I said, diverse thought processes. You have to have uh, people who are willing to be a counterweight to something that seems like the norm. Um, and I don't see that. What I see is just a group of people that all rah-rah each other and it's always this same group of people that are doing the same thing and it's not necessarily in my perception in my opinion in the best interest of me as a professional in my view of the professional atmosphere that I have to work and operate under um, or even uh, to some degree some of the uh, consensus statements I don't find to be in the best interest of what I view as patient care. So it gets pretty deep. And I think that they need to be a little bit more. I do will look into the academy because I know the academy is different and I have to claim some ignorance there. I'm not 100% sure I agree with you that a, that a group of 4,300 people needs to have two separate 
societies. I think that's very complex. I think you just answered the question why we need two separate societies. Yeah. One, one appealed you just to talked you. about. Yeah, one appealed, one, yeah, to, one appealed to you and one did not. And it well, also it didn't appeal to me yet. I haven't joined. Well, I think I'm going to look into it. I'm willing to. Yeah. You're looking yeah. I'm willing to. I'm willing. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, they have different fair. mission statements and so therefore they might attract different people. Um, but I, I, I do see your point. I don't have any personal experience with it, but just as a, you know, regular perfusionist person in the country. Um, if you don't feel like you are um, really connecting and being a part of something, that could be a discouragement for right. sure. Or represented. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. A healthy democracy needs two parties to represent <laughs> people. Ah, it needs more than okay. So okay. I probably shared more information <laughs> than I really needed to. I'm not going to say any more about it except that I will I'm open to, you know, to, again, moving more towards other organizations, and I will look more into the American Academy, because actually, I, have, I don't have that same experience with them. Okay. Somebody's going to call in about this topic. Oh, boy. Yep. I can tell. I it's know. happening. Well, uh, it's probably him saying. I can just say that, you know, what's really true here, because I've had this discussion for a lot of years, when it comes to our societies, you've heard this before, but... It really depends on, you know, what you put into it, what you get out of it. If you don't do anything except send your money and never do anything else, you're going to say, what did I get out of it? But you also didn't put anything into it. So that, that mantra on that saying applies a lot to professional societies, especially for fusion. I don't 100% agree with you, John. In fact, I disagree with you almost entirely on that. <laughs> but that's, that's okay. And I'll tell you, maybe I'll tell you why a little later, but I do. I disagree with that because you have to be listened to. You know, you, you, you can try all you want, but if there's just nothing but a brick wall and you can't get through that brick wall, all you're doing is sending in your money. And at some point in time, you stop sending in your money. You know, but, but that's a debate we can have. Go ahead. We have a caller. Uh, we have a caller. Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a familiar voice. But it's I Eric. 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 You wonder. But all you have to do to see the difference between the two societies is look at the quality of the papers presented at AMSEC versus those presented at the Academy. And you will quickly understand that there are two divergent groups. Yes. Well, now try to be politically sensitive because we don't want to say anything negative about anyone. So. Um, uh, well, I, I, I was not being negative, Joe. I'm just saying that, that the disparity is quite clear. One has one distinct function and one has primarily another. Uh, and that's, that wasn't disparagement. It was really a, a comment on the quality of papers. But that's a subjective judgment on my part, Well, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's fair. So I'm assuming you're a member of the Academy. I'm an associate member of the Academy about every other year. Um, I have not been a member of AMSEC for very many years and not likely will ever. That's my personal opinion on the subject. Mm. Uh, well, that's a perfect illustration but, of why but, there's two societies. Yes. Right? <laughs> Eric, you're, you're, you're you and Debbie. You and Debbie are. You and Debbie are making me. I'm, I'm going to probably have my checkbook out before the day's over with and <laughs> right. joining the American Can Academy. I We're here. Yeah. Yeah. We're a part of this. Uh, it's worth looking at. And um, that's my point. It's worth looking at. I think so, too. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate your call. We appreciate right. your participation today as well. 
So Matt, oh, good. Thank, you. thank you, Matt. You've been so quiet. I'm going to put you on the spot before we close this up and move to Debbie's talk. Where are you, by the way? You look like you're at some airport. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually in a conference room at, at Vandy. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so what's your view? Just very quickly, we'll wrap it up. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't think that. 4,400 or 4,500 people uh, need two professional societies. I do understand that they do have two different, um, you know, uh, charters. They, they, their, their, their purpose are different. So I, I do understand that, you know, I would just like to see one concentric society. And I hope we get in the, into the discussion a little bit uh, later. I would like to see what the society is actually doing for the profession, as yeah. opposed to just giving education. And, um, and I think it has to do with markets, and um, I'll just leave it at that. Hmm. Okay. John, any final thoughts? What you get out of it is what you put into it. That's my thought. <laughs> Couldn't disagree with you more, John. <laughs> Couldn't disagree with you more, John. <laughs>